first, I just want to express um, thanks and gratitude for well, letting me come and preach God's Word to you, um, and especially in view of the call of becoming one of your pastors. Um, pastoring is one of the greatest honors and privileges I've, I've ever experienced in life. Uh, and I, 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 don't, I don't count it a, a, a small burden um, to pastor, and so just thank you. Uh, I, I also would like to say this, I've had a growing fear that Doug is looking for a whipping post or a scapegoat, so if you know something, flash me a sign, okay? It can be secret, we can meet in the bathroom if we need to, uh, I don't know if there's wiretaps around here, uh, and so... My eyes are peeled. <laughs> Lastly, I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to the book of Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark. Today we're in chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. And as you turn to Mark 4, 35 to 41, uh, I just want us to dwell on uh, the reality that these days seem like chaos, and, and maybe it's not even enough to say they seem like chaos. Maybe, maybe it's, it's enough to say that they are chaos, right? Um, if you're on Twitter, uh, which I'm not anymore because uh, there's too much on there, or Facebook, or if you watch the news, they're all in agreement. Everything is chaos, right? Um, so whether you're talking about uh, global warming, gun violence, social justice, pandemics, vaccines, inflation, or Popeyes versus Chick-fil-A, everything around us is unraveling. And my, my wife was really nervous when I said I was going to mention all of those things, but that wasn't so bad, was it? Um, <laughs> and, and maybe Christians are destined to love Chick-fil-A, uh, but their spicy sandwich just can't be beat, okay? Um, much love to Popeyes. I grew up on Popeyes. We didn't have Chick-fil-A, but um, Chick-fil-A wins. But, but we're not the only ones, right? So I, I think it's important for us to understand we're not the only ones in all of history to feel that the world is chaos. Uh, there have uh, been many people before us to feel that life is, is kind of senseless and just chaotic. Uh, and so since we moved to Springfield about five years ago, I've, I've picked up the hobby of woodworking, and, and I've discovered that nothing pairs as well with sawdust and power saws as classic rock, like Credence Clearwater, I mean, all those guys, I don't know what it is. Uh, so uh, one band I like to listen to is called The Doors, right? They're weird, I get it, but they sound good. Uh, and they have one song called Riders on the Storm. And the lyrics, I think, they, I think they're about just like, things are just meaningless and senseless, so we just kind of have to ride it out, right? Um, and so the lyrics go like this, Riders on the storm, riders on the storm. And to this house we're born... And to this world we're thrown, like a dog without a bone, an actor out on loan, riders on the storm. Uh, we're just here, riding out the time we've been given. Life is as unpredictable and chaotic as a storm. And if there is anyone or anything that's in control of this storm, they obviously don't care. If there is a God, he doesn't seem much to care. This passage in Mark presents us with life as chaos and a Savior who stands in the middle of it. 
And the disciples in this story are all of us. They've seen Jesus' power. All right? If you, you have, are in this room, through his word, through the spirit, seen Jesus' power, receive the secrets of the kingdom. Right? Just before this, just before this chapter, Jesus is teaching in parables. And as we'll see, he's giving them the secrets. This is what they mean. But when we finally check in on their faith, they act as if life is just chaotic, that Jesus is as impersonal and chaotic and uncaring as a storm. When their knowledge of him is put under great pressure, the quality of their faith is revealed. Do they truly believe what they know? That's the challenge presented for us today in this passage. Do we really trust Jesus? Or do we respond as simply as if everything is just out of control? And there's no sense to everything that's happening. And when things are out of control, how do we know we can trust him? This passage presses us with these questions while simultaneously giving us the solution. The solution is found in two aspects of Jesus' identity of a Savior that we can trust. So uh, look in your Bibles with me in Mark 4. We're going to read Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Like I mentioned, we're presented with two aspects of Jesus' identity that anchor our faith when life is chaotic. When we have questions about why is life chaotic, why does it seem senseless? And the first aspect of his identity is this, He is the sleeping Savior. Right before this episode, I mentioned this also, Jesus has taught in parables, nothing but parables, but we're told at the conclusion, if you look at verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So, uh, it's not a coincidence then that our focus turns from the crowds at large to the disciples in particular. It's time to, to check in on them. Surely, these insiders know. So, Jesus proposes. They cross to the other side, to, uh, the lake to the other side. And I love the way uh, that Mark phrases this, right? Mark is the shortest gospel, but he adds uh, more details than uh, many other gospel writers. And I love the way that uh, he phrases this. Verse 36, and leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was. Just as he was. Tired, dirty, unassuming. Full human. Just as you and I appear today. Just, just as he was. 
Uh, Many scholars believe that these are details of an eyewitness account, probably Peter. Uh, And the phrasing is simple, but it it seems to me to hint at a picture of discipleship. Wherever we go as disciples, we we take Jesus with us. And and just like here, his, his presence might be simple and unassuming. And we're not even told what body of water they're crossing. It's just crossed to the other side. Uh, but it's safe to assume that it was a sea of, of Galilee. Um, uh, I've never been, but looking at pictures and stuff, less of a sea, more of a big lake. Uh, when, when all of a sudden, this, this giant storm just comes out of nowhere. The wind is blowing the boat sideways, threatening to turn the ship over. Waves are, are filling it up. And honestly, this is not hard for us to imagine just four years ago, 17 people died on the Ride the Ducks uh, boat, right, down at uh, Table Rock Lake. The boat was just overturned because these sudden violent winds just rushed over and, and completely surprised everybody. I mean, being caught in an unexpected storm on land can be scary, you know, especially if you're in the woods and you know, there's lightning. But, but, but being caught out in the water in a storm can be just terrifying. And where was Jesus during all of this with 13 lives at risk? Verse 38. But he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. He was sleeping while the disciples staggered and reeled fighting for their lives. Jesus, their master, their rabbi, their captain was napping. The contrast between such a violent storm and Jesus comfortably speaking or sleeping is supposed to be outrageous. It's supposed to be like that. It's like he's being a neglectful parent. If this, if this was Jesus and he's leaving his toddlers in the car and we're standing by the car going, where are you? Yeah, we're going to call the cops soon because this is neglectful to us. And what do the disciples do once they realize their master is not only absent, but sleeping? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now that is quite the question, isn't it? The other gospel writers emphasize the disciples' plea for help, just their helplessness. Lord, save us! But, but here Mark chooses to emphasize something else. Uh, there's a song that I enjoy uh, listening to when I go running. Uh, and there's one lyric, just, it's at the beginning and it always irks me and I always try to you know, zone out when, it, when he says this. But he, he says, I'll show you how God falls asleep on the job. Uh, and that song is also about the lawlessness and chaos of life. And the disciples are responding with that same kind of unbelief. You're sleeping on the job! Teacher, don't you care? Do you not care? Unless you have been gifted with remarkable faith, I think all of us have pondered this question to some degree. For some of you, it might be cynical unbelief. And uh, I just want to say, uh, I've been there. Right? There's so much suffering, so much chaos, God must not care. But I found that the idea of a cold, uncaring universe to be so much worse. 
And for others, right, this unbelief is, is unbelief mixed with sorrow and, and kind of a struggle for faith. And, and I've been there too. God, do you even care anymore? Do you care about me? If you're good, why are you letting this happen? Why would you let this happen? And implicitly, like we... We're like, there can't possibly be a good enough reason for this kind of suffering. I don't know what the disciples expected Jesus to do. But they wanted him to do something. Instead, to them, he was doing nothing. Maybe you've noticed this before in, in reading this uh, in this gospel or others, but if you haven't, I want you to notice how strikingly similar this is to Jonah. And I don't think that's a coincidence. As you probably know, Jonah tries to flee the presence of the Lord, and he ends up on a boat in the middle of a storm. And while the sailors on that boat are on their wits' end, where's Jonah? He's asleep. And the sailors come to him and they say, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Just, there's, let's get, just get all the gods. All right, let's call on all of them. One of them is bound to hear us and save us. Uh, and what the book of Jonah emphasizes for us is that it is God, Yahweh, who hurled the storm, and their lives are in God's hands, not in the force of the winds or the waves. And obviously, there's one key difference between Mark 4 and Jonah. Jonah was running from God. Jesus is the son of God, and he knew perfectly well who sends storms. Jesus isn't being a poor master. Jesus is showing his disciples that they can rest. Yeah, God could have not sent the storm in the first place. He could have given his son, one and only son, Jesus, and his 12 loony disciples a nice, peaceful stroll across a lake. But he didn't. That wasn't the point. The point was for those 12 dudes to trust the one who was sleeping on a cushion. The point was to trust the one who was so good he could sleep, knowing that he and his disciples' lives were in the hands of divine and passionate love of Father God. In other words, the disciples could trust him precisely because he sleeps. I'll show you how God falls asleep and I'll raise you one. The Bible is wonderful, isn't it? Lots of unbelievers don't even know that their problems are answered right here. Even when he sleeps, he's showing us something wonderful about his goodness. Jesus is showing us what true rest and true trust looks like. As the one who knows the Father most deeply, he is showing us just how deeply we can trust him. If the disciples really understood the magnificent person of Jesus, they could trust that they knew what he was doing. Their knowledge of him was tested. Does he care? Does he, know what he's, is, does he know what he's doing? Is he still good, even if in following him, he leads us right into the middle of chaos? 
the Lord knows how deeply my wife Mallory and I have struggled with this um, uh, very much in our adult life. For, for seven years, we were infertile. Uh, it didn't make sense to us. How, how could, uh, literally a question that came from our mouths was, how could a good God withhold such an undeniably good gift? Even, even in adopting our daughter Willa was incredibly painful. What, why did that have to be, why did that have to be so hard? Why couldn't it just be easy? Why do we have to go through all this pain? When we found out that Mallory was pregnant, my first prayer was, God, please don't let this end in miscarriage. But Jesus is here, and he shows us that something as senseless, cold, and uncaring and chaotic as a storm, truly knowing God doesn't lead to cynicism or panic or fear or unbelief, but to rest, to sleep. God wants you to sleep. He wants you to rest. We, we think rest can only come when everything is under our control, right? Having this or doing this or if something would stop. But rest comes when we truly, deeply, and affectionately know the one who is in absolute control. A healthy knowledge of God's total control leads to rest. And if that same knowledge doesn't eventually lead to rest, but ultimately to anger or fear or cynicism, resentment or anything else, then somewhere along the way that knowledge has become unhealthy and untrue. It reveals we don't know or or trust as we ought. But Jesus shows us that we can trust Him because He's the sleeping Savior, the resting Savior. Really what I've been stressing is Jesus' humanity, right? So, and how even in his sleeping humanity, he is a wonderful Savior. Isn't that awesome? Right? We could end right here and this would be great. But honestly, it's still not enough. It's just one aspect. We, we need something more. And Jesus shows that in the second aspect of his identity. He is the sovereign Savior. So the disciples are freaking out and they wake Jesus up. And I don't know what they expected him to do, right? Maybe they just need some more hands, getting a bucket and throwing it over water. But they just like, Jesus, help us out. But what ended up happening, happening was something entirely unexpected. Verse, verse 40, he woke and he rebuked the wind. And he, and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Up until this point in Mark, we have seen glimpses of Jesus' authority, but only in terms of, of, of human brokenness and, and spiritual and the spiritual realm. So there's no disease too much, no demon too powerful, and whoa, this guy even has authority to forgive sin. And all of these miracles are focused on like the restoration and redemption of humanity. And, and his authority over these things in, is an astounding in itself. But this is the first time in Mark that we see his control over nature. Like over the elements. And this is entirely different. Right? Even in the Old Testament you had some guys who could, who could heal. 
um, uh, Elijah or Elisha, I forget which one. He's multiplied the oil and the, and the, uh, the oil for the widow, right? But no one anywhere could control nature. Elijah had to, to pray for rain, but he couldn't command it to come or go. This is, this is truly unprecedented. Especially, it's not just that he's telling nature what to do. It's these time, during these times, uh, nature was seen as uncontrollable by anyone except the gods. And especially in Jewish thought, the sea in particular represents these chaotic, formidable, untamable forces, right? So that's why in Genesis, the Spirit is hovering over the waters, right? The waters represent this chaotic, uncreation that God is going to bring under His control. It's not a coincidence that at the apex of the exodus, uh, in and around a sea, right? The, the mightiest army on earth cannot stand up to the one who could control the waters. And here is this Jesus, just as he was, who stands over the waters with the Spirit in Genesis, or God in Exodus, and speaks three words. Peace. Be still. You can almost, almost hear, right, in, in the words of, of creation in Genesis. Let there be quiet. And they listen. This, this, is, not, this is not parenting a, a toddler. Okay? I can do this exact thing with Willa, and she might stop, but she's going to be crying and probably louder than she has been. But this, the wind and the sea hear the voice of their captain, and they fall into line. Jesus isn't making a request. Jesus issues the command. And the storm, it turns out, is not an uncontrollable chaotic force. They have a master who gives them their bidding. And Jesus turns to his just dis dis stunned disciples. And he's, he expects them to know by now, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? The disciples should have more faith in Christ. And the question he asked them is, is the challenge for us. And far from, from casting them off, far from scoring them, saying, I need 12 better guys, Jesus lovingly confronts their unbelief. He doesn't treat their unbelief as they deserve it. He bears with them while challenging, challenging them to grow. And so this is what's awesome. Je the Jesus you think you know is still far greater and better than you imagine Him to be. This is my experience as a Christian. When, when I finally think Jesus is done with me, when I think my unbelief is too great, it turns out Jesus is far more excellent than I could ever deserve. The gospel is, is truly like good news. And it's important when we remember that. I, I was singing Tyler uh, Grant's praises yesterday, man. Uh, that food was good. Oh, it was so good. And um, guys, that's Jesus for us. 
He's so good. He bears with us in our stupor of unbelief while calling us to deeper levels of faith. And like all of us, the disciples understand, but they're still so, so slow to grasp it. Verse 41, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's a good thing to have a holy fear of Jesus Christ. Tim Keller wrote in his book, King's Cross, the storm had immense power. They couldn't control it. Jesus had infinitely more power, so they had even less control over him. The wind and the waves know the voice of the one who has sovereign power, and yet we find the audacity to question him all the time. Why would you do this? How could you let this happen? Surely your reasons for this cannot be good. While all the while, seas and waves and wind and mountains are ready to do his bidding. We tend to forget that we don't stand before this God-man and demand that things go our way. This is a God, this man, this is a God who exercises supreme and excellent control of all his jurisdiction. There is not an event or a storm or a trial that wanders too far or goes awry. He doesn't need to consult with us. He consults only with himself in the depths of eternal will. And the point is that we fall on our faces in praise that this God stands at the helm of all storms and tossing seas. Not a cold, distant universe, but a sovereign Savior. Because it's not just that this God is sovereign over them, sending them. He is with us in them and through them, working a purpose far more excellent than we can comprehend. He's not just sovereign over them. He is faithfully present in them. Stephen Wellam wrote in his book, God the Son Incarnate, about Jesus. In Jesus, we truly meet God face to face. We meet him not, not simply inhabiting or overshadowing human flesh, nor merely associated with it, but in full and wonderful glory. Although we behold him as a man, he is much more. He is the Lord, the divine Son, who humbles himself and veils his glory by becoming one with us. It is God the Son himself who dwells among us to speak, act, live, love, rule, and redeem for our good and his glory. It is, it is Jesus of whom Psalm 66 is true. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. Why? How? For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. But you brought us to a place of abundance. 
This is the Lord at the helm of suffering. The Lord who sovereignly ordains by a just eternal will. The Lord who is intimately present with us in them. And the Lord who designs far more good from them than we could ever imagine. There's a lot. We've been married for eight years, but there's a lot that's happened over the course of our marriage that I would not have chosen for us. I didn't like a lot of what we had to go through, so I would have chosen comfort and ease. I wouldn't have chosen infertility. I wouldn't have chosen a painful adoption. I wouldn't have chosen emotional and spiritual exhaustion. I wouldn't have chosen depression. But Christ has faithfully and gently and patiently patiently led us through all of it. All of the chaos. All of the senseless storms. And today, I can sing with all my heart, He has brought us to a place of abundance. And I'm ashamed at my unbelief. Not only in the storm, but through it, and on the other side, stands with great authority and love, our God, man, Savior, The man, Jesus Christ, just as he was. Who knows your weaknesses. Who knows your lack of faith. Who knows you should know better. Who knows your struggles. Who carries your pain as if it's his own. And God the Son who summons the storm. Sustains us through it and brings us to a place of unimaginable abundance. I really like what an old dead guy said about this. Uh, His name is Ephraim the Syrian. And he said, uh, the ship carried his humanity, but the power of his Godhead carried the ship and all that was in it. The question for us is the question the disciples ask. It's not answered for us here, but it's, it's who is this? And each of us must answer that question personally. Who is this? He is not careless. He is not powerless. He is not distant. And he is not wayward. He is passionately loving, all-powerful, ever-present, and unwavering. Let's respond To this Christ, this sleeping, sovereign Savior today. Let's pray.